Welcome to Elevated, where technology and leadership come together to advance the art and science of the project professional. Through tailored professional learning, we provide executive and professional education experiences to shape curious, future-ready leaders through customized programs. In this podcast, we will be discussing industry trends, product innovation, agility, and technologies that have the potential to shape markets. The topics we cover will be closely aligned with the custom courses offered at the CTME, Caltech Center for Technology and Management Education. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. Hello, everybody. How are you today? And welcome to Elevate. My name is Nate Cruz. I'm your host for today's session here. And Elevate is a session that we sponsor once a month here at Caltech Center of Technology and Management Excellence, where we bring in speakers who are talking about topics of interest in project management and leadership and new ways of working, agility, and in technology. It is a monthly session that we have sponsored here on the third Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time to 11 a.m. Standard Time. Our goal of our session here today, and our goal always will be to bring in speakers who will be bringing in topics of interest for you to hear about in the areas that we had specified, and also to talk about topics that are aligned with the curriculum that we have here in live courses, in online material and virtual classes here so that we can provide sessions for you at some time in the future. For our inaugural session, it is my great pleasure to present one of my sheroes, Diana Larson. Diana Larson is one of the, I believe, the foremost thought leaders in the area of agility. Also a wonderful person. I've met her at many different conferences. She's always happy and engaging and and have a nice word for you here. And she has given me many great thoughts to think about as I've met her the few times I've met her out at conferences here. Diana has also written many books, starting with a book that I read from cover to cover many times, talking about retrospectives on how to get uh, high-performance teams. And lately here, what just came out with her and uh, Trisha Broderick, another person who was another one of my sheroes, written a book here on leading without blame. And I'm not going to go into that too much because Diana in her presentation will probably give you more to talk about than I could ever give you here. Now, for today's session, before I turn over to this, those of you that may have questions, please type your your questions in LinkedIn text, and we will address them at the end of the session here. So folks, uh, what I want to do with that said, I want to turn it over to my one of my most favorite agilists, Diana Larson. How are you doing today, Diana? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Nate. Happy to be here. So today for this Elevated podcast, um, I'm really, again, happy to be here. Nate and I have had some wonderful conversations at different conferences. And so it's uh, it's a pleasure to be able to kind of extend that experience out a little bit further. The book is Lead Without Blame, and that's the topic of uh, today. But also the topic today is why does that matter to leaders and their teams? That's what we really want to talk about. It's not enough to just say, do this. we need to know the why behind it. And so I hope to give you some of that information uh, as we go through today. If you have questions, please write them. Um, As Nate said, we'll get to, I hope to leave some time at the end for us to get to those. And so let's move along. 
So as Nate said, I've I've written a few books. The latest one is Lead Without Blame. But as you look at these books and as I've reflected on these books and the other things that I've contributed to the Agile community and the organization design community and just my profession at large, all of my work tends to tends to be a blend of how do we become great leaders at whatever level we are working in our organizations? How do we have a support, impactful learning and understand what that means and how to get that? And then how does that help us create great teams? Those three things for me are part of a one whole body of work that I've been um, so happy and pleased to be able to participate in. So we wrote this book together. I wanted to acknowledge Tricia by having her picture up here. She was a great partner in writing the book. We have very different backgrounds. And so it's been, it was a great blending of her knowledge and my knowledge in order to put this book together. And so I just really want to acknowledge the how pleasurable that writing experience was and how much I learned from her. And, and I think she learned some from me as well. And this, a quote from Richard Sheridan, who's also a valuable colleague about his, when he read a, a preview of the book, this is what he had to say about that. I'm not going to read all those kinds of small quotes. So <laughs> let's just keep moving. So while all of our situations may be unique, I wonder if you, like me and like Trisha, have lived this story where you're in a situation at work, something happened. Something happened that we didn't really want to have happen, that wasn't our intention, but it happened. And now we're doing the what used to be called in bad in the old days, project review or product review meeting. What happened while we were trying to produce what we're trying to produce? Uh, it didn't come out the way we wanted. The customers didn't accept it in the way we wanted. The technology didn't work. You know, who knows? Something went wrong. And as this meeting gets scheduled, the sense is everybody's getting ready to point their fingers somewhere else. No one wants the blame to fall on them. In spite of our best attempts at good leadership, in spite of knowing that we really you know, maybe needed to do a retrospective and focus on learning and improving and, and fixing this thing. So for what comes next, the sessions too often turn to let's figure out who to blame. And that takes precedence. I'm just wondering, I don't know if there's any way I can get that this kind of interactive feedback in this format, but I'm wondering, it, you just in your own self-reflection, have you ever been in this situation? Have you lived this story? Is it familiar? Leading without blame means no, not just don't not blaming our direct reports or the people that we work with, but our peers, not living in a place where as a leader, we get blamed. We want all of that to go away. And so let's talk about how we can make that happen. And just to set the foundation here and to talk about blame and shame, they intersect. They One tends to lead to the other and back again in a um, sort of a negative spiral, downward spiral. Blaming, judging, you know, that kind of negative judgment of what each other have done, what's happened, and looking for the person to blame, which in today's world is a complex problem. 
because most of us, our behavior comes from what the organization expects from us. And it's a systems issue when things go wrong, not an individual or a personality issue. So when that blame thing comes around, sometimes we take it on. We believe that we deserve that blame. And that turns into shame. We can anywhere from being self-consciousness to actual self-loathing. We feel not worthy. We are, it senses, it, it tells us about our distress and it helps, it makes us get into that space where we are working very hard to not show any kind of vulnerability or not be vulnerable to blame and those feelings of shame because they feel bad. They, they get in our way. Now, I'm not, I don't want to be bashing leaders here. This is, I have spent my time as a leader. I think leaders have worthy goals. We're, we tend to be looking to help other folks improve in a lot of different ways. We have goals around satisfying our customers so that we have a good position in the, in our marketplace. We have goals around retention and employee retention and growth of the business. We have goals around team engagement and performance performance. And those are all wonderful goals. They are all worthy goals. And sometimes we use blame to try to achieve these goals. And when doing that, we can often miss the opportunities that are there to actually help our teams do better. The results that we get are often not the results we hoped for. We get, in today's VUCA world, we get disruption and chaos and uncertainty and ambiguity. And our, our the people that we work with, our peers and our employees, our direct reports, they need us to help them work in that kind of a situation. And blame and shame get in the way of that. We have honorable intentions. As I said, we want to help the business succeed. We want to help our colleagues and our teams succeed, our stakeholders. We want to help ourselves succeed. We, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with having some ambition for our own career paths. And so we wrote the book for Every person who is in any kind of leadership role, whether it's a formal titled leadership role or more of an informal role that comes from expertise and background or education, because we understand that all of those folks, anyone that others look to as a leader, formal or informal, has a role in creating a workplace where everyone can thrive. And even in those kinds of chaotic situations, good intentions matter, but impact matters more. And leaders get caught in a trap. They lead from blame when they think they have no other options. And Peter Drucker, uh, this quote comes from Peter Drucker, so much of what we call management consists of making it difficult for people to do the work. That's a decades old quote. And yet, in 2023, we still see that happening. And part of that is that our, the behavior behaviors of leadership get passed down from, you know, past le- leaders to current leaders and so on. And we 
and we see people that others tell us are successful leaders, and then we want to emulate them. And unfortunately, not all of them deserve that kind of emulation. We we have blaming behaviors that really miss the mark, like how leadership is taught and, and modeled for us in the current status quo, how it not seeing that blaming behaviors in particular work against the outcomes that we want. And we tend to focus on, and the the whole marketplace causes us to focus on the short-term gains. And that makes us stop thinking in terms of the whole system or or the long-term health of the organization. And those are all traps. So what are some of the ways that this causes us some problems? Well, it causes us to work from some fallacies. And and those fallacies, those ways of thinking about what's supposed to be good leadership lead to false assumptions about what should we be doing as leaders. So many, if we were in a big room, I'd ask you to raise your hands. But so just, you know, think for yourself about your answers to these How many of you or how have you heard you got to hold their feet to the fire or be dominant and in control, be more efficient, you know, strive for efficiency. There's, we've got shareholder pressure coming up. We need everyone to be fully utilized. We tried that new thing before. It didn't work. Stay in your lane, right? And you may be able to think of others. (laughs) If you can think of other things like that, you hear, write them down and keep them in your mind because they're just, they're ideas that are out there. They are in our environment. They are in the climate that we work in and they just aren't true. So there was this wonderful article in Scientific American a few months ago, When Dominant Leaders Go Wrong. And I was so excited when I when I saw this because they're kind of making our point for us. They did some research and they discovered when there were leaders that others saw as dominance who had really strived for that kind of con- that illusion of control right i mean that's how i think of it always employees didn't work couldn't work as well that kind of domineering behavior that that hold their feet to the fire kind of behavior actually suppressed productivity innovation performance all of those things so that desire to control to dominate to be in command is actually not that effective. And that's because simply when we feel blamed by others or shamed by ourselves, we lose our ability to perform well. We can't be creatively thinking and innovative in under those circumstances. So what's a leader to do? What can we do instead? How do we how do we shift? And what Trisha and I came up with is a model that we call the four C's of learning leaders. What we really need to do instead of focusing on blame and shame and judgment is focus on how do we create environments for better learning in our organization. So these four clusters of behaviors seem to be part of the key to that. 
Courage has to do with being a leader who is willing to ask questions, not be the person who has all the answers, but a person who's willing to be seen not having all the answers. Chip Bell, who's a longtime management consultant, wrote a great book about when leaders learn, talked about learning out loud, being visible in our learning. And that takes some courage when you're expected to be a leadership know-it-all and have all the answers. So you do have some of the answers and we want you to have the courage to share those. Here's what I know about the direction of our business, but also to share, here's what I don't know. And here's what we can learn together next and, and be clear about that. The second one is compassion Whoops. <laughs> I'm going to go through all of those, Tracy Lynn. So just hang out here for a while. Compassion from that previous slide has to do with understanding that learning new things is hard, learning new technologies, new new behaviors, no matter what we do. I mean, think about when you first learned to tie your shoes, how much you had to think about every move or drive a car. Learning always slows things down to begin with in order for us to speed up later. And so if important for leaders to have compassion for that slowdown, and some people have been beat up for learning behaviors before, and some people are fearful of taking the time to learn. So having compassion for that as well, not everybody is going to jump into learning with glad cries. Some folks are going to need some support and help to do that. Confidence is the third C, and that one has to do with understanding that if we get good at learning as a leader, as a team, as a group of individuals, if we get good at learning, we can have the confidence that we're going to be able to face any situation that the li that life and work throw at us. We are going to, we know we can learn our way through it. We know we can figure out what we need to do next, even if it, it's not apparent to us to begin with. So that confidence and showing the teams, and it's not just saying, oh, I know you can do this without giving that courageous and compassionate support. These things all go together. You can't just say you feel confident in your team. You have to show you feel confident in your team's abilities to learn. And then finally, the fourth C is complexity. We live in a complex world that we really haven't spent a lot of time understanding the nature of that. And so the more leaders can learn about how complexity works, what it means to learn your way through an ambiguous situation, those kinds of things, the better a leader you will become. So all of those things go together. And what we created, Trisha and I created, is this larger model that takes in le when leaders are performing, are behaving from those four C's, what do we get? Well, we can listen and learn and observe what's going on in our environments and influence the environment rather than focusing on managing individuals. I mean, certainly we want to make create environments where there is individual well-being because so that creates good teams as well. But how do we do that? And the focus needs to be on that collaboration and co-intelligence, I'm going to talk about in a minute. So the core of leadership is really three team motivators that I'm going to, this is things I'm going to talk about next. Purpose, 
autonomy, and co-intelligence. And some of you who are familiar with Dan Pink are going to go, hey, what? what is this? This looks very familiar. Well, it is. Dan Pink wrote about motivation at the individual level. What we're talking about here is motivating teams of people, motivating groups of people. So we're saying team purpose, team autonomy, and team co and co-intelligence instead of individual mastery. So there's some nuanced differences there, but it's helpful to think in those terms instead. And then also we have four resilience factors that we've got around the outside of this circle. And I'm going to talk about those more in a minute. And these things all working together, having the the essential motivators in place and growing and building and strengthening those resilience factors gives us teams we can have confidence in. They will be able to face any challenge. So the three motivators, I just said, the essential team motivators are purpose, autonomy, and co-intelligence. And, you know, lots of people talk about purpose, the needing to understand the why. And we know that individuals need to understand the why, but teams need to understand the why so that they can align around the work that they're doing. And I, as a a consultant and coach, very many times I walk into... um, a group of teams and I start asking them about what they're building or how they're building it. What's the purpose of this? And they don't know. They only have received a a set of tasks. They have no idea how that fits into the broader world. They have no idea why the work they're doing has any kind of meaning or significance or what impact we expect it to have for the customers or for the business. They're clueless about that because nobody has given them that information uh, in a good way. And so purpose is extraordinarily important. Understand the why. Autonomy has to do with being able to work together in a group that can take joint accountability for what they are uh, producing that they know that they aren't going to be able, no individual here is going to be able to make this happen on their own. We really need the whole group to be working together in order for this to happen. And all of us taking accountability and no one saying, well, my part is done if the whole isn't done. And that has to do with autonomy, the ability to make decisions that we need to make, uh, the permissions to understand or maybe push our boundaries or at least have that discussion. Those kinds of things have to do with team autonomy. And then finally, team co-intelligence. This is the team expression of that idea of mastery. How do we as a team have all the information and skills and perceptions from our backgrounds and those kinds of things that we need to put together to create the product that we are creating or to create the service that we are creating. What do we want to have happen? And in today's world, when things are so complex, it is very rare that we can be facing an issue that is solvable by just one person particularly if we're trying to innovate and create something new. And we need to be able to transfer the learning. In the Agile world, we talk a lot about generalizing specialists or T-shaped people and and so on. But always uh, in my work with teams, I mean, since like the 80s and 90s, we've always talked about teams need bench strength. 
yes, we need all the different people who have all the different skills, but we also need, in order to keep things moving forward, we need people to be able to step into the roles that others are playing when they can't be with us. COVID times are a perfect example of that. If you've been on a team and your one of your peers has been out all of a sudden with a COVID, what do you do? If you've got to wait for that person to come back, that's going to slow the whole team's progress and slow the progress of the product or service. So we need to be able to back each other up. And we need to be able to look at our team and say, do we have the right skills? And do we have the ability to back each other up when we can't be here? And so when we do, if you've ever been on a team like that, you know that it's a joy to come to work. People work together. And, you know, that those are the kinds of teams where I hear, I can't wait to get to work on Monday. And it's not enough to just have one or the other of these. You need all three of these motivators. And, you know, if we don't have both purpose and autonomy, then we're going to flail around. We're not aligned. If we only have autonomy and co-intelligence, then we may have all the skills and, and, and willing to take responsibility, but to, to what end? and so on. So that's what we need. We need all three of these together. And leaders are in the perfect position to reinforce and make sure that this is happening in our work environments. So those are the three essential motivators for teams. Then once we have that, in order to grow our ability to be learners, we want to make a positive difference. And we need to have um, all of these resilience factors in today's world. We need all of these resilience factors in place. We need to be working on them. And these are areas for the team where the work is never done. There is always room for improving our understanding and our ability in these areas. So the first one is collaborative connection. And that really is how, what's, what does trust look like on our teams? How are we connecting? How are we creating our work environments? And so there are lots of things we can do around that. And there's lots of information about that, including in our book, but other places as well. And then another piece that sometimes gets lumped in with that sort of communication and collaborative connection is conflict. We separated that out because one of the things that we know is inevitable is that when you get a group of people together, you are going to have conflict. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have arguments or fisticuffs or any of those kinds of things. That simply means that sometimes we're going to have different ideas about how to proceed, particularly if we've got that kind of co-intelligence in our, in our teams and we've got lots of different perspectives going on. So, Conflict, being able to manage conflict well, to give feedback when we just begin to notice that we may be getting at cross purposes with each other. And so we can maybe treat that conflict when it's small or work through the clash of ideas when we're really trying to innovate and do that well helps us be a creative group, helps us be the kind of organization that and kind of team that can create a disruptive product. Conflict resilience and being able to bounce back when we've experienced a conflict on our team is incredibly important. 
And then inclusivity. We had a wonderful partner on the writing the, this chapter of our book, Jomara Villanova Mitchell, who is an expert in diversity, equity, and inclusion areas and has done a lot of work for that. And in today's world, because our customer base is likely to be diverse. We need our workforce to be diverse. We can't know what people are going to need from us if we don't have people who can represent those perspectives. And then, you know, and how are we being with those people when they come to work? Folks that we maybe haven't been used to working with before. People maybe have different, come from different language backgrounds or different cognitive abilities. All of those things, how do we create that environment of inclusive collaboration where we get the most out of the fact that we have diversity? And then finally, the last team resilience factor is power dynamics. Anytime you have a group of people together, you have difference of power. There is, some people talk about, oh, well, you know, some folks would look for the one up and one down. How am I, do, how am I doing that? And other people look for the, how do we meet here in the middle? But there still is that sense of who's behind this, who's pushing this forward, what influence do they have, and so on. And so understanding when there is like real power to make decisions, when does the, do we not know where the power influences are coming from and how can we find that out? All the different kinds of ways that power plays out, particularly in a workplace, in an organization, is an important understanding. So those are the four team resilience factors. So we were fortunate in being able to recruit a number of folks to read our book as it was in progress and give us feedback on it and, you know, tell us what they thought and so on. And so here are some of the, these are just some of the things that, that people said, but we had folks who right from the beginning, the very first draft that right now we would not feel very proud about saying, I'm already keeping this on my desk. This is already. I can already tell this is going to be important to me. So I love these particular quotes because they bring out different aspects of this lead without blame way of working, uh, understanding that there are courageous leaders at every in every part of the organization, not just those with specific job titles that say leader or manager or director in them, but everyone who has who influences someone else and the the need to move from the idea of efficiency to effectiveness from coercion to collaboration there is a shift that is needed here a shift in thinking and a shift in behavior but those are learnable skills it's not like we're left out if we aren't thinking that way and seeing the way that a striving for efficiency is sometimes going to get in the way of us getting the outcomes, effectively getting the outcomes we want. And then help just helping the organization grow. This is a way that helps the organization grow in spite of the fact that it's not the conventional wisdom. And then again, also the, the idea of this is the path to innovation, productivity, and joy in work. When we feel great about coming into work, we do a better job. We bring more of our discretionary effort. We think about our work. 
even when we're not at work, because it's great to think about. And we know that we're moving in a meaningful way. It really does give us that boost. So next slide is another opportunity to take the screenshot. And now, yes, let's go right to the questions. We've got about 20 minutes. Okay, I am back with you, Diana. Thank you, as always. It's almost like when we were sitting back there in, in, in Nashville and I just said hi to you and you kind of come over to the couch and you just had this wonderful conversation of just a flow of information for us to digest and go forward. So as I thought that you would be awesome here in this is our first inaugural speaker and you exceeded my expectations. So thank you very, very much. But then they know culturally back in an organization, the resistance they're going to deal with. So there is, let's say, a lack of confidence and maybe even to the point of out and out fear. What kind of words of wisdoms or tips would you have to them to get started on this journey of getting to this leadership uh, without blame? Well, as you since you've got a copy of the book there, as you know, throughout the book, we have, but what ifs, like just exactly like this, right? But what if I'm not working in that? Well, you know, my simple answer is keep your resume buffed up <laughs> just in case. And then, but then more seriously, start small, work on this where you can work to begin to notice where is blame getting in the way in such a way that you can then point that out in a good way to folks who are receptive? Gee, Charlie, I noticed when we told Sam had really failed in that last piece of work, all of a sudden he got sick for a couple of days. And I really believe he was sick, but I think maybe depressed him a little bit. We, we shamed him. And that makes people more susceptible to any viruses or things that come along. So, you know, is there a way that we can talk to people in a way that can help keep them healthy? And maybe you only have that conversation with one other colleague who you think might be open to it. Or, gosh, we, we focused in on this issue, but when we work to solve that issue, we created these other ones over here. I wonder if if we there's something for us in more thinking and more in systems than in individual blame, and that might get us better outcomes. You, you begin to have those kinds of conversations. You begin to ask your teams what they need to get their work done. You can you know share any of this with them because I guarantee you there are people on your teams that are also in leadership roles within the teams. And they can they can help with this. So depending on you know where you are in the organization, there's there are always people you can talk to. Make sure you understand who might be your allies and who's not. And if you're in an organization where there just are no allies for this kind of work, well, yeah, then you really may want to be buffing up your resume or begin to look for opportunities to be a leader. And this is a thing that worked for me, actually. I, I was in that kind of a situation one time. I mean, I had a boss that was it made decisions that didn't make any sense, who then blamed people when the thing didn't go the way it was supposed to. And I started looking for opportunities to have leadership roles in my local professional organization. And I created places where I was in a healthy group, motivating each other in healthy ways. And that helped me to balance in my own life the fact that I, for the time being, couldn't really leave that job with the bad boss. 
So there are, there are ways of doing that. Anybody who's um, got a really good personal coach, success coach, career coach or something, they will probably also have ideas for you. And so reach out and ask for that kind of help. Well, thank you for putting a pitch in for all those of us who are in the coaching profession here. We always like those for you to do that for us here. So while we have it here, uh, I look out here. We did get a question here. Will you let me read it here? It says, uh, you mentioned the term power dynamics when you spoke about when there are, are leaders in a room. I've been working on my use of language as I think about the term power. I wonder, what's your take on changing the term of power to responsibility? My logic that if we start us seeing what we deem as power is responsibility, we'll get to remove a layer of inaccessibility and start to shift our narrative to building relationships. What do you think about that? I'm always open to new language, to new language that describes things better. And so if responsibility describes that contact, that concept better in your context, I encourage you to use it. When when I'm talking about power, I'm not necessarily talking about the use of power in a negative way. Sometimes we have the power to do good. And if we have that opportunity, then it's our responsibility to step up and do that. So I see, I see maybe that's how those things work together. I spent much of my life saying, oh, I, you know, not wanting to talk about power, being afraid of that, thinking that wanting power or using power in a situation was always going to be bad and wrong. And over time, and now that I'm almost three quarters of a century old, (laughs) God help me, I know now that we can use power for good. We can be inclusive in our power. We can arrange things in such a way that we share power in a better way. And so, which is, you know, by sometimes extending decision-making authority or reducing the limitations that folks have or holding our personal boundaries in a way that models that for others. I mean, those are all examples of a, a really positive use of power. It's not always, I mean, I grew up in the era of Nixon and I just thought power was, people who wanted power was a terrible thing, but you can use it for good. And that's what we explore in the section in our, in our book. What are the different kinds of power? What's, you know, unseen? What's power that you get because you just have a background and a skill set that gives you more knowledge in a certain situation and you have the power to use that knowledge well for the good of the group. And so dismissing power too much, I think, can get us in trouble. And as you said, if the word responsibility is a good swap out in your situation, I encourage you to do it. That's how we grow language and how we create better language for the things that that we uh, want to talk about. Thank you for answering that. And thank you, Ms. Holmes, for that wonderful, very thoughtful question we had to deal with. Uh, next, we have a question here for you. And it says, can you talk about system versus individual blame or accountability? There seems to be some overlap here with organizational systems and maybe broader societal systems. My friend often says we need to shift to blame, to branding and calling out the systems instead of doing that with systematically affecting individuals. Yeah, your friend is very smart. I come from, you know, much of my career has been built around the idea of using retrospectives for improvement, right? 
And what goes along with that is the retrospective prime directive that Norm Kurth wrote and publicized through his book. No matter what we understand or no matter what we discover, we understand and truly believe that everyone was doing the best they could given the resources they had, their skills and abilities, the information available, and the rest of the circumstances around them. So we all have this idea of our unattached standard of our best. When we're really at our best, we do this, right? And you didn't do that this time. Well, what it's the system most likely that got in the person's way from doing a best that would have been more adequate to the needs of the work. So someone can be doing their very best as an individual, but other factors around can keep, maybe they were misassigned. Maybe they were asked to take on a task that they didn't really have the right background and skill set for. Well, how did that happen? How did we let that happen? That's the system doing that. What if they didn't have, I, how many teams I've walked into where the the manager level person says, oh, yes, we always do continuous integration so that we can know, you know, how things are working. And then I talk to the team and they've been waiting for months to get some kind of a build server where they could do in continuous integration. So is it their fault they're not doing a continuous integration? Or is there something happening in the system where procurement or training or whatever isn't being provided in such a way that they are then able to respond to what they're being asked for. So that can look a lot of different ways. Um, That's not having the right resources. Information flow. Information flow is so difficult in organizations and people are often working from misinformation or it's not the kinds of information they have and their sources of getting information may not be a good match for what we're trying to accomplish in the here and now. I would say, you know, there are a lot of people who have, who would say they have information that tells them to behave in ways that we would associate isms with. My grandpa told me, you know, I got my information this way. I was on a job once and one of these kind of folks did this or that, right? That's my information. If I'm bringing that into the workplace, that's going to affect my ability to come up to some independent standard of best, even though I may be doing my personal best. So that's where that assignment of blame starts really getting in the way of fixing things, right? If I'm looking to say, oh, well, but that person, they did this, you know, they didn't do that task right. But then I learned it was a junior. There's a wonderful story in the book, and some of you may have heard it about Etsy. And uh, I love this story. And I may not have all the details right. So if you go look it up, you, you may find that I'm telling a slightly different version of the story but than what actually happened. But the idea being that a junior person was assigned to be the, you know, to have the pager over the weekend. And an issue came up. And that junior person tried to solve the issue. And in doing so, because they didn't have all the skills and abilities that they needed, ended up taking down the whole site. 
Now, in a lot of situations, that person would have gotten a load of blame and maybe lost their job, right, for doing that. You took down the whole site of Etsy? You know, how does anybody bid on things? How does anybody, right, how does anybody sell their stuff, right? The high-level leader, I can't remember if it was the CEO or who it was, but a very high-level leader in the organization's response to that was, oh my gosh, thank you. You have just exposed a vulnerability in our security system, in our reliability. Without you doing that mistake, and it was a mistake, yeah, we see that, but also you were assigned for a job that you really weren't well prepared for, and that's on us. And in, But in what you did, you, you showed us some important information, and so thank you. That's where we start taking responsibility for the system and not focus on blaming the individual. I love that. There are there are other stories out there for in other companies. That's one that I know and I tell a lot. But it's a I think it's a just a great example of really good learning leadership. Okay, Diane, thank you so much for great insight and answering those questions. Folks, we're coming close to the end of our session here. So I'm gonna cap off our discussion here in questions, but very good questions here, particularly last one, Scott Lundin, you're one of my guys. So thank you for throwing that very thoughtful question in there for us to have our session here together. Again, Diana, as always, you've touched my heart before as I, I sat down and just said hi to you and that turned into a two-hour conversation. And uh, you've come on board and I just reached out to whim and asked you and you said, hey, looks interesting. So let's give it a shot. So I appreciate you being our inaugural topic here. And I think you've set us a set of bar high that we now have to match going forward. Thank you for that. And thank you for this wonderful gift you've given us here, folks. This uh, Leading Without Blame is a wonderful book here that she has given to us. Her and Trisha Broderick is another wonderful shero in the area of agility that you should all look up to and, and uh, get attached with. Uh, so with that said, I want to thank all of you who joined in here and took the time out of your busy schedule to be part of this inaugural Elevate session here. And again, we're talking about bringing in leaders and thought leaders that are talking about ways of leading, talking about uh, technologies, ways of work, and anything that you want to talk about here. So what I ask of you, if you could reach out to me, um, I'd probably say LinkedIn is the best way, and let me know topics that you'd want to see here. And I will go out and scour and try to find uh, leaders that have that topic to bring that information to you and then uh, and see if it aligns with the course material that we have here along the way here. Please hold me to that promise as we go forward here month to month. We have another one coming up here in February. I also, given the fact we talked about leadership here, I want to also let you know that we have a already set up and registered a an agile project management course coming up, which well, I will lead a virtual session here. And I, it's not just about teaching the fundamentals. We try to cater to a client that is doing agility for more than just software. I call it the agility of everything. So we talk about how to do things with respect to agility with hardware, software, with process, with data analytics. All these are things that you're going to have to face as you're going through here. So I'd invite you to reach out and take that course with us. We do this in lectures. We'll do this with a series of exercises and some simulations here along the way. And with your permission, Diana, I'd like to maybe throw in a couple slides that I've learned here from you here today on a little bit of leadership to kind of spice it up a little here as we go forward here. So uh, anybody have any questions or want to look at any, want to register for courses, we have uh, have the our uh, 
websites listed up here in the text here for you to, to look at and go forward with. And thank you for here uh, for being in the community, folks. Again, this is a pleasure to do this first one here. And thank you for showing up. And thank you, Diana, for the wonderful speech here. And I look forward to see you in Portland, okay? But everybody else, I want to say thank you. Uh, hopefully you had a wonderful session. I certainly did. Uh, this is Nate Cruz signing off with our session here today. And again, have a great day. And I look forward to seeing you again in a month for another wonderful uh, session here. Take care.